Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, would you take them and open to Mark chapter 1? We'll be in Mark chapter 1 today. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you a struggle that I've been having in, in relation to sending our oldest child off to college. And uh, that had been building steam for a while. Uh, and and uh, even though I was praying about it and, and, and trying, you know, asking the Holy Spirit to help me to, to work through this in a God-honoring way, I just wasn't having any breakthroughs and still I, until I began to write that sermon from a, a couple of weeks ago. Until I began to study that passage and, and pray about that and meditate on that and, and, and then write out that sermon. And that's when I had this, this breakthrough Again, I've had this breakthrough before, but I guess I needed it for, for that situation that reminded me that there are men and women in Scripture who have faced the same struggles that I face and who have figured out, or, or you know, perhaps just dumb luck, God's grace, they had an encounter with God that helped them to, to break through. And so here was this guy a couple weeks ago in, the, in, in the, the passage we read then who encountered Jesus Christ in the flesh, you know, boots on the ground, so to speak. And then I could take some cues from him on how God wants to relate to me. Which is why we're doing this series, Prayers to Jesus, because I, I, I have a hunch I'm not the only one who forgets that there's other people who have navigated some of the challenges that I'm navigating. And so this series, Prayers to Jesus, helps us to see how other people have dealt with their hurts, their pains, their challenges, their questions, their doubts, specifically with God in the flesh when he was among us, and how God, in the person of Jesus Christ, responded to them. Reminds me that, reminds us, that we're not alone in this. That Jesus does want to interact with us, that he does hear our prayers. So today I'm going to ask you to join in with me as we listen in on another prayer. Mark chapter 1, I'm going to start reading at verse 40. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you are willing you can make me clean. Now let's just pause here for a minute. I want to be clear about something. Matthew, Mark, and Luke both record this same interaction that Jesus had with this leper. And when Luke records it, he says that, that, that the man was full of leprosy. That's a Greek way of saying from the bottom of his foot to the top of his head, all of his flesh was covered in leprosy. This isn't just some patch of psoriasis on his calf. You get what I'm saying? Like, this is full-on, covered from head to toe, leprosy. He came to Jesus and said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 41, Jesus was indignant. Now, you may be reading a version that says something like Jesus was moved with compassion or something like that. And we're going to come back to that a little bit later. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. 
But go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, the man went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So there's a few contextual things I think we need to unpack here to understand this man's prayer and to begin to understand how it can help us, uh, you know, approach Jesus in our own prayers. So first of all, Mark writes that there was a man with leprosy. Now we have a disease today that we call leprosy. More specifically, it's called, does anybody know? Hansen's disease, like that old pop band from the 90s, the Hansen brothers. Well, I mean, spelled differently, but Hansen disease. And we know today about leprosy, Hansen's disease, that is caused by a specific bacteria. And, and uh, our medical community, our scientists have been able to develop medicine that, that takes care of that bacteria. And so we understand now that, that you can be healed from leprosy. Um, we know that, that it's not easy to catch leprosy. We know this today. Um, as a matter of fact, the CDC says it takes prolonged, close contact over many months with someone who has untreated leprosy. Actually, as it turns out, we know that there's another way you can contract leprosy, and that's if you um, handle one of, those, um, uh, one of those animals from the Southwest. They have a, what was that? Armadillos, that's right. Yeah, the ones that rolls up and ball. Yeah, if you handle armadillos, you can get leprosy too. They carry the bacteria that spreads leprosy. We know those things now, but what we don't know is what skin disease this guy had. And I say that not to cast doubt on what the Bible says. Mark and Dr. Luke and Matthew all say he had leprosy, but what we understand as we look back to the Old Testament, specifically Leviticus 13 and 14, is that there was a range of about seven skin diseases that were all under the umbrella in their day of leprosy. These were all defiling skin diseases, and they, they referred to them all as leprosy. And when it came right down to it, not only could they not necessarily distinguish between them to, to name them and classify them, but they couldn't treat them. They had no specific treatment, no cures for leprosy, which is interesting. As we read scripture, we see that it never really talks about healing leprosy, only cleansing it. And you'll notice here that the man comes to Jesus, and what does he say? If you are willing, you can, say it with me, make me clean. Okay, so this, this fits within Scripture's understanding of, of leprosy. He's, he's coming asking to be cleansed. So they didn't have any necessarily treatments where they could heal someone. So they had other measures that they had to take to make sure that leprosy didn't spread. They believed it to be very contagious because some of the forms that they called leprosy were contagious. But you've maybe heard some of this before. How did they keep uh, people who had leprosy from spreading it to others? Well, they marked them off. So um, for starters, when you were a leper, you had to wear different clothes. 
Part of that was for comfort because you needed something less coarse or, or you know, fewer garments to rub on your skin, but, but also was so that you could be identified from a distance. So that if someone with leprosy was approaching, you could see that and make note. You could, you could keep a wide berth. To keep lepers from spreading leprosy, uh, they lived in a, a, I don't know, commune, a, 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 a gathering outside of the village. They, they, they kept them separate from non-lepers to keep everyone safe. These leper colonies were all over the place. We actually read about some in Scripture. And if a leper, for some reason, was going to be around uh, people who didn't have leprosy, they had to announce their presence, not only by the clothes they wore, but they had to do it verbally, and they had to do it loudly. And do you know what they would have to shout as they approached people? Unclean! Unclean! This is how they dealt with lepers to make sure that the leprosy didn't spread because they couldn't heal it. They couldn't take care of it. So do you get the picture here about this man, this man with leprosy or full of leprosy, as Dr. Luke says, who came to Jesus? He had been pushed to the margins of society. He, he was made to dress differently. He was made to talk differently. He was made to live differently. Not only could he not come close and live among other people, but, but because he was a leper, he couldn't participate in the life of the community. There was no going to fireworks on the 4th of July because he might spread his leprosy, right? You, you, you with me? Well, that's kind of familiar, isn't it? Not leprosy, but we're dealing with COVID. Um, he, he, he couldn't make sacrifices, which is a big deal. It's like several of you who came into church this morning, this is your first time coming back. You're like, oh, it's so good to be back. Are we even allowed to be here? Well, that was maybe slightly joking, but for this leper, it's no joke. He, he had no way to interact with God and with God's people. You see, leprosy was a hopeless disease. You were cut off from everything and everybody except for other lepers, and there was no hope for you. Physically, there was no hope of healing. You might be cleansed, although the, the Old Testament only talks about two times when someone was, was cleansed of leprosy. It's fairly hopeless. Socially, there was no hope of love and acceptance and human connection. Religiously, there was no hope of participating with God's people, with the religious community, which, which meant for them, there was no way you could connect with God. Mentally, emotionally, if you had leprosy, it was hopeless. And what do you do when your whole life is hopeless? Well, we've seen throughout history, even into our own day, that hopeless people often do desperate, extreme things which is exactly what this guy did. He, Mark says that, that the leper came, came to Jesus and begged him on his knees. Luke and Matthew give us some insight into that. Luke says that the guy fell on his face before Jesus, maybe out of shame because he was a leper, maybe out of um, submission because he didn't want his his uh, actions to speak louder than his words. He knew he shouldn't be there, so he fell on his face so that 
so that he could be heard, maybe out of reverence. Actually, that's what Matthew says is going on here. Matthew writes that the leper worshipped Jesus. So we're starting, I think, to get the context for this prayer. We have a leper, a desperate man in a hopeless situation. He knows that, that nobody, not him, not anybody else, can deal with the situation that, that he's facing, this, this issue that matters most to him. No one else can touch it. No one else can address it. And so he goes to extreme measures, extreme measures to bring his greatest need to someone he believes can deal with this leprosy. Someone who can take care of it once and for all. He believes that Jesus can cleanse him of his leprosy, but he didn't know if Jesus would want to. Notice the prayer that we're looking at today. He said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So there's no doubt this leper was confident of Jesus' ability to cleanse him. He was confident that Jesus can do it, right? You can make me clean. Now, I have no idea how this guy came by this confidence. Actually, as we read Mark's account of the life of Jesus, we're still in chapter one, right? We haven't even gotten out of the, the introduction chapter yet, in a sense. We don't have to read back far, only 39 verses to see that at this point in his ministry, according to Mark's timeline, Jesus hasn't healed a leper. He's cast out some demons. Uh, he's healed some various diseases, Mark says, all, all kinds of diseases, but no account that he'd healed the leper here. And actually, we could say, well, maybe you know, some of those people with various diseases, a few verses on top of this, maybe, maybe there were lepers, but there's a sense, as we read Mark's gospel, it specifically puts this story in this place to demonstrate that Jesus had not yet dealt with leprosy. This is one more proof of Jesus's messiahship, of his authority on earth. So I don't know why this man was so confident that Jesus could cleanse him, but he was. He said, you can heal me. This isn't even like two weeks ago where the guy's like, I kind of believe, will you help me believe more? I mean, he came, he said, you can heal me. But where he struggled was knowing if Jesus wanted to heal him. He was confident of Jesus' ability, but he was uncertain of Jesus' willingness. Okay? This is the prayer. The man prays, if you are willing. Interesting, in, in Greek, there's two words that Mark could have used here that in English are translated willing. The first is bulomai, just for fun, say that with me, bulomai. Okay, let's try it again. There's, there's, there's just a few of us in this room, so raise your voices. Let's let the online people hear us. Bulomai. Oh, well done. Thank you. Good. Okay, so bulomai is a willingness that comes from reason. It comes from reason. It's like when we might say, um, will you please think about it and see if, consider, see if you're willing to do this thing. Okay, that's bulomai. 
The other Greek word that Mark could have used here is the word fellow. Say that with me. I was like, Jout, I didn't say it. Let's do it again. Fellow. Fellow. Perfect. So fellow is a willingness that comes from emotion. It's like if we would say, um, uh, go with your gut. What is your gut telling you? Okay. There's this willingness that comes from reason about thinking through it in, in, in Greek and Mark's culture. And there's this willingness that comes from the emotions. Like, what do you want to do? What do you feel like? What's your gut tell you? What word do you think the leper uses here when he asks Jesus, if you are willing? He uses the word fellow. You see, the man is sure that Jesus has the power to heal him. He just doesn't know if Jesus has the heart to do it. He knows Jesus can, but he's not sure if Jesus is like every other religious person he's encountered since he contracted leprosy. Every other voice in this man's life has driven him away. Out of the village, go live in the colony. Let us know when you're getting close. Shout, scream, dress differently. Don't come near us. We don't want anything to do with you. They cover their eyes. They cover their mouths. They, they keep a wide berth when this guy comes by. They're, they've told him since he had leprosy, you are not acceptable. You're not valid. You're invalid. You're an invalid among us. And when everyone around you is telling you that you are invalid, that you don't count, that you're not acceptable, you begin to believe at the deepest part of who you are that that is the truest truth about you, that you're not acceptable, that you could never be valid. And you start to doubt that even an all-powerful, all-loving God could possibly love you. exactly where this guy is. Jesus, I know that you can heal me. I know that you can. I believe that you can. I just don't know if you'll want to. I just don't know if it's in your heart. You'll probably do what every other religious person has done to me. You'll probably heap scorn on me and send me away until I can clean myself up. Beloved, I want you to notice Jesus' response to the man. Mark writes, Jesus was indignant. Now let's be clear here. Jesus is mad. He's angry. He's, he's upset because this desperate, hopeless man didn't know if Jesus had the heart to heal him. This man is so warped by his society, by his disease, by what the culture says to him that, that, that he doesn't know if God even realizes he exists. And this upsets Jesus. This ticks him off. Every other person in this man's life has disregarded him and disowned him and disavowed him. And that upsets, that angers Jesus. This man was created in the image of God. 
And he doesn't even know if God will pay attention to him. His whole life is devastated because of something he had no control over. And that incensed Jesus. Now, I mentioned earlier that some of you have translations that say that Jesus was moved with compassion at the beginning of verse 41. Instead of saying Jesus was indignant, angry, upset, mad, ticked off, your version may say Jesus was moved with, with compassion. Now, that's confusing. Am I the only one who would open up two versions and say, angry and compassionate? I don't get that. I mean, that's not even, like, those are two totally different ideas, right? I mean, you, you're not often walking through the hallway at work encountering an angry supervisor and going, I think he's feeling compassionate today. I mean, it just doesn't work like that. Those are two totally different emotions and two totally different Greek words. I, it's kind of hard to explain and, and without geeking out over you know, the biblical languages, let me, let me try to summarize it like this. Somewhere along the line throughout history, as the book of Mark was being handed down from scribe to scribe, from church to church, what probably happened, remember they, didn't, they couldn't copy, paste, and print. There was no Gutenberg at this point. This was all done by hand. And so some scribe somewhere probably read what Mark wrote, I believe Mark originally wrote that Jesus became indignant. He uses, used that Greek word. Some scribe probably read it and said, oh, I don't know. That doesn't really make Jesus look too good. And so he swapped out the word. He painted Jesus in a, in a better light and said that Jesus was moved with compassion now, again, what we're not trying to do here is to undermine what we read in, in our text. We read translations of, of, uh, you know, of what scribes have copied down over the years. We, we understand that the Holy Spirit has been throughout that whole process. So whether we read angered or compassionate, we're not going to say, well, forget it, throw the Bible out. It can't even agree with itself. No, the English translations, the English translators are using different, uh, you know, different texts that have been handed down over thousands of years. Here's, I think, what's important to understand here. The, the, the Greek word that is translated compassion is a word that has to do with our bowels. The idea of compassion is that it's a feeling deep in our being. Our, our small intestines are so moved by something, that we have to do something. That's what the word compassion in the Greek refers to. So whether Jesus was angry because of what this man made in God's image had to deal with, the devastation in his life, the way his people treated him, the way it was so bad for him that he thought that God wouldn't even pay attention to him, whether that angered Jesus or whether deep in his being he was moved with compassion and wanted to help this man, we need to understand that Jesus responded to the deepest of human needs with the deepest of human feelings. Jesus felt this guy. He was angry by what caused the man to need to say this prayer in the first place. 
but he showed compassion to the man. Notice Mark writes, he reached out his hand and he touched the man. Now you don't do that. In Jesus' day and age, you do not touch a leper because some of this leprosy is highly contagious. You become unclean, you could get leprosy. Friends, this would be like walking into the hospital to the COVID floor and French kissing someone who has COVID. You wouldn't do it, right? Like, would you have like a death wish? We're assuming they're your spouse, of course. This would be like, this would be like having unprotected intercourse with someone who is HIV positive. You don't do it. It's a death wish. You don't touch a leper. And yet, what did Jesus do? He reached out and he touched the man. Why? Remember, Jesus is God in the flesh, the same God who, with his words, created the whole universe. Jesus could have simply said, Yeah, yeah, be clean. And the whole thing would have been over. But instead, Jesus took compassion on the man and he reached out and he touched him. Why? Because more than the man needed to be cleansed of leprosy, his heart, his mind, his soul, his spirit needed to be healed. There was a healing here that the man didn't realize he needed. I mean, sure, if the leprosy was taken care of, presumably maybe all these other things would return to him, but the man was dealing with scars and baggage that he didn't know he had, and Jesus knew the only way to heal those is to touch him, to do what you're not supposed to do, to give him what he hasn't had in in who knows how long. He needs to be embraced by God. And so Jesus touches the man. This is the first thing Jesus does. Don't be confused. It's clear in the language. Jesus doesn't heal him first or cleanse him first. Jesus touches him first. He cleanses the the inner man first. And then he speaks the words that the man came seeking. Do you remember the man's prayer? Say it with me. If you are willing you can make me clean. Let's try that again. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And we said that the man used a specific word for willingness. He used the the Greek word fellow. Jesus, do you want to? Jesus, if you want to, if you have it in your heart, if you see me, you can make me clean. And Jesus responds with two words. In the Greek, he says, fellow katharisteti. Just two words. That's all that Mark writes here. Jesus says, I want be clean. And just like that, immediately, Mark writes, the leprosy left him and the man was cleansed. Whoa. How many of you have had that kind of response to one of your prayers? Where like, as soon as you were done praying it, take a breath and it's answered. I don't often experience responses like that. 
So what do I do? What do I need to do to have that kind of experience in prayer when I bring my prayers to Jesus, how do I experience this? Now, now let's be clear. We've said throughout all of the teachings we've ever done on prayer that prayer isn't about some kind of secret code. There's not a magical incantation that you memorize and repeat so that you can ensure that you'll have a, a response and experience with God that, that you want. Prayer isn't about a process, we say. It's not, it's not about a process. It's about a person. Prayer isn't about rote recitation. It's about a real relationship. So so what can we do? Are there some things we can do, some cues we can take from this man to position our heart and ourselves in a way that, that God will respond to us in a way that addresses what we're asking him to address? Let me ask three questions as we think about this heart posture. First of all, what in my life is causing me to question Jesus' willingness to touch me. What in my life is making me, like this man, uncertain if Jesus is even willing to hear me, to see me, to hear me, to touch me? There, there could be several things. There, uh, unconfessed sin could be one of them. Sometimes we, we have this notion that when there's attitudes and thoughts and, and words and actions in our life that are wrong, that we know aren't pleasing to God, and, and, and that if we're not willing to deal with them, sometimes we begin to think that if I'm not willing to deal with it, Jesus surely isn't willing to deal with me. And, and there's actually some scriptural truth to that. Isaiah paints a picture for us that says, your sins have, have built a wall between you and God. He can't hear your prayers. That's scriptural truth. Also scripturally true is what John writes. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, there's that word again, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So how does that work? How, does, how do my sins build a wall where God can't hear my prayers, but if I pray and confess my sins, then, then God hears me? Well, I, I, I think the answer is right there. If unconfessed sin has you convinced that Jesus doesn't want to deal with you, that Jesus has no willingness to hear you, then, then the ball's in your court. Bring your need to Jesus. Confess that you've been wondering. Confess that you've been struggling with this sin. Make your unconfessed sin confess sin, and be confident that Jesus will hear you. He will. He wants to. He'll embrace you. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. Maybe for you, though, it's not unconfessed sin, but unfortunate circumstances. Or maybe unfortunate isn't strong enough of a word to describe your circumstances. We've all got them. We've all got things that are part of our lives, not because we did something to deserve them, not because God willed them on us, but because sometimes life just stinks. And we've all got those things. And, and the rough part is that sometimes our circumstances convince us, we begin to think that, that they determine or they describe or they dictate God's willingness to hear me. Actually, the biblical example leans in the other way. It's the people who have more desperate circumstances, more unfortunate circumstances to whom God leans. He leads towards those people, not away from those people. If your life is falling apart right now and it's, you don't know how you got here and you don't know if you'll ever be able to leave here, 
Take courage. Biblically, God is leaning towards you, not away from you. Or maybe it's not unconfessed sin or unfortunate circumstances, but maybe it's unloving people. When you've consistently received a certain message from people, you start to believe it. And when you perceive those people as religious people, Christians they call themselves, you begin to think that they speak for God. Can I encourage you in the next few moments to step aside from the vitriol on social media and hear this not as a political statement, but perhaps as the Holy Spirit whispering to you? There are people in our culture, in our country, in our community, in our world, who their whole lives have received messages from people like us that they're not good enough. Sometimes it's due to things that they have no control over, like the, uh, the color of skin they were born with, or the language they learned to speak, or the country their parents came from. And they've heard and they've received from, from people like us, I hope not from us, but, but quite perhaps, certainly people perceived to be like us, that they're not good enough. Sometimes it's not about things out of their control. Sometimes it's about things that we would say are in their control, things like their, uh, you know, the gender they're attracted to or the way they, they act out their sexuality. Although, curiously, when we're stuck in sin, we're quick to say that we're kind of powerless against it. But we're sure that they, can, we're sure that they, they have a choice and they can control. I'm not making a political statement here. I'm not watering down God's truth on things. But understand that when we as Christians are on Facebook and on social media and we're replying to everything that comes up, every news thing, every, every other post from everyone else about masks and the government and political parties and riots and Black Lives Matter and, and, uh, and, and flags on, you know, rainbow flags on things, when we respond on social media thinking that if I just say the right thing, people are going to hear me and their minds are going to be changed. What we're doing is driving people away from God. We're sending them a message that you don't matter. That this thing that you struggle with, if I may, this leprosy that you carry around, I'm speaking metaphorically, doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. All we do is drive people away from God. All we do is reinforce the sense that God has no heart for them, no desire to hear, for, hear from them, to, to, to touch them. That's why James, I believe, in the New Testament says we should be quick to listen and slow to type our responses on social media, slow to speak. Because for some people, it's, unloving people that have them convinced that Jesus isn't willing to touch them, to hear from them, to entertain them. So what about you? Is there a question in you of Jesus' willingness to touch you? And if so, why are you letting that keep you from Jesus? It doesn't matter what causes that question or that uncertainty in your own heart. Look at what happened here. 
The man wasn't sure if Jesus would engage him or not. But Jesus did. And not just engage him. He didn't just humor him. He touched him. He engaged him in a way that nobody had for a long, long time and that the guy didn't even think anyone ever could again. Whatever it is that you think is keeping Jesus from hearing you or from seeing you, it isn't. He will. Second question I want us to ask is, am I willing to allow Jesus to do what Jesus wants to do with me? Am I willing to allow Jesus to do what Jesus wants to do with me? Notice that this man, we said at the beginning, he came and he worshiped Jesus. He fell on his knees or he fell on his face and he worshiped Jesus. I don't get that. I mean, that part of the story would make sense to me if it happened at the end, right? Like after Jesus said, I'm willing to be clean and the leprosy is gone, then the man should worship. But the man worships when he doesn't even know if Jesus wants to see him. It's like this guy understood that Jesus is able and he deserves my worship regardless of what he ends up doing. Let me say that again. This guy approached Jesus believing Jesus deserved the man's worship even if Jesus didn't do for him what he wanted Jesus to do. I'm going to say that one more time a little different way. I need to worship Jesus regardless of what Jesus chooses to do or not do in my life. You see, this is about lordship. This is about coming to that place where I make up my mind that Jesus can do with me whatever he desires. If you are willing. But if you're not, that's okay, I'll still worship you because you're my Lord. And our third question, what do I need to do to bring my need to Jesus? What do I need to do to bring my need to Jesus? If you can get some kind of firm footing on these first two, that, that Jesus wants to see me, he wants to hear me, he wants to touch me, if you can settle that even partway in your heart, and then if you can come to terms with the second one, that, that regardless of what Jesus chooses to do with my need, I will worship him, then the only question that remains is, what do I need to do to get my needs in front of him? What do I need to bring them so he could see them? And sadly, we often lose sight of the fact that bringing our needs to Jesus means that we bring them in front of Jesus' people, right? It wasn't just Jesus on the road when this leper came. Jesus was being followed by all of his people. For this man to bring his needs to Jesus, that means he had to bring them before the people of God, and that is hard. Because we, the people of God, we, the people of Jesus, we don't have a great track record for acting like Jesus. And so it's scary. But hear me out. Some of us, perhaps in this room, perhaps online, maybe listening later, are struggling with things, crushing things, that we have to get to Jesus if our faith is going to survive, if we have any hope of getting through this. And even if that means bringing it into the light where the people of Jesus can see it, 
Even if it means risking the embarrassment and the shame and being sent away and being made to shout, unclean, unclean. Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to do whatever it takes so that Jesus can touch your life, so that he can give you what he wants to give you, so that he can speak the words that you need to hear? I can't tell you how many times in almost 25 years of pastoral ministry that I've watched teenagers and parents and individuals keep things hidden, not bring them before Jesus because they're afraid of what the people of Jesus are going to say or they're going to do. It's, it's the man who wouldn't talk about his struggle with porn because he was just confident. He was sure it would mean rejection. He would be shunned by the people of his church. And, and so he kept it quiet and eventually that thing strangled him. It's the, it's, it's the married couple who wouldn't talk to anybody, not their pastor, not their Sunday school teacher, not their small group leader, not their trusted church friends. They wouldn't talk to anybody about this gargantuan gulf growing between them because they didn't want to be seen as those kinds of people who can't make it work. And eventually the gulf swallowed them and their marriage ended. It's the parents it's the parents who wouldn't talk about the sexual struggles of their teenagers. The internet porn addiction, the struggles with homosexuality, the, the teenage pregnancy. Because they didn't want to be seen as less than or as parents who, who didn't know how to raise their children to love Jesus. They didn't believe they could trust their church family to extend to them God's grace and mercy instead of scorn and rejection. Beloved, I can't predict how people will respond. I can't tell you what the, what the disciples of Jesus will do when you come and fall before him and cry out for cleansing. But I can with confidence because of the way Mark and Matthew and Luke write this story, tell you what Jesus will do. Jesus will hear you. He will see you. He will feel you, and he'll embrace you. And then by the help of the Holy Spirit, God will walk with you through the cleansing that you need. It takes a whole lot of courage to pray the prayer that this man prayed to Jesus. Can you have courage like that? I believe you can. When this man prayed this prayer, he found that Jesus was not only willing to cleanse him, but that Jesus was even more willing to embrace him. And the same is true for you. Jesus wants to hear your need. He wants to embrace you. He wants to walk you through the cleansing. So what's keeping you? Jesus is willing, and you can be cleansed. Why wait any longer? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of this man who had the courage to come and to express where he was really at, his uncertainty about if you would even see him. And yet a, a confidence, a, a a posture of worship that says that, that you can and that regardless of what you do, 
You're worthy of our worship. So, Father, I pray for uh, my brothers and sisters who are hearing this sermon, whether they're in this room or online or watching or listening later. Father, I ask that your spirit would continue to draw them to the point where they could bring their deepest need before you. That thing that they think disqualifies them, makes them invalid, that thing that has caused other people to turn our eyes and turn our faces and keep a wide berth. God, would you bring them to the point where they can bring that before Jesus and experience your embrace and your healing. Father, we love you and we thank you that that when you embrace us, when you heal us, you don't water down the truth, you you don't allow us to live in sin, that like you did with this man, you give us instructions on how we should go and how we should live next. Thank you, Father, that that your love isn't wishy-washy, that it doesn't it doesn't approve of that, uh, that scripture condemns or that you condemn in other places, but that even when there's things that ought to be condemned, you still embrace us and you still work with us to give us cleansing and healing. Father, may that be so for those who need it today. In Jesus' name, amen.